0: Welcome to the Using the Whole Whale podcast, where we learn from leaders about new ideas and digital strategies making a difference in the social impact world. This podcast is a proud production of Whole Whale, a B Corp digital agency. Thank you for joining us. Now, let's go learn something. This week on the podcast, an old and awesome friend, Greg Baldwin, the CEO of Volunteer Match, has been kind enough to spend his Friday evening with us to talk about something critically important, which is volunteering. Greg, how's it going?
1: Going good. Good to see
0: you. Likewise, great to see you. However, it's not great seeing some of these numbers. Uh, you have been uh, at Volunteer Match so amazing with that on tier hub around COVID nineteen, putting out these like quarterly numbers, and I'm like well, that looks bad, but I've got bigger fish to fry. But now like we're talking months and months into this and maybe for the audience, can you give us, paint a little picture of what the numbers currently look like for volunteering in America as of, you know, when you wrapped up those numbers in Q3?
1: Yeah, so volunteer matches, you know, we have about 130,000 registered nonprofits. So we've been surveying our stakeholders, not just the nonprofits, but volunteers and corporate programs, kind of the ecosystem of volunteering. Um, on a regular basis since you know the pandemic began. I think that we fielded our first research in March uh, and then we followed up in May, July and we're fielding another round of um, another kind of, we call that a, a national pulse survey um, that actually just completed last week. So in the immediate aftermath, um, I, I think it'll come as no surprise, um, COVID-19, uh, social distancing and fear all transpired to absolutely decimate face-to-face volunteering. Overnight, most of the content in the Volunteer Match system became obsolete. Um, Most of
0: what is is most like ninety percent just. So what is like? I mean, immediately afterwards,
1: we saw. I think um, it was about a uh, like within within a week or so, we saw a drop of about a third of all the content Mm -hmm. in the system, Um, and then you know, that number has continued to decline because not every, not every nonprofit immediately updated their, you know, their opportunities in the records. It took, a, you know, it was a little bit of a rolling timeline, things would expire and they wouldn't be renewed. Um, but the other number that we got directly from the survey was that 93% of nonprofits reported that they were seeing either, you know, what, what was defined as uh, some or heavy cancellations in their face-to-face volunteering programs um, only four percent reported minimal or no impact, and I think those prog- the programs that were seeing minimal or no were programs that you know prior to COVID were already for whatever reason totally virtual. So you know there were some programs mm-hmm. that like Micro Mentor is a good example. It's a you know most of the volunteering work is already done remotely by phone or computer. You're mentoring you know uh, entrepreneurs, and because they were going to scale, distance had always been something that they were. You know, we're closing the using technology to close the gap. Um, So those are the only programs that weren't, um, you know, weren't seeing uh, a negative impact. And there was a tiny little percentage, you know, the three percent that actually saw a higher than usual turnout. And again, those were the overlapping sphere of um, volunteer opportunities that were already primarily virtual.
0: Obviously, those that were virtually volunteering were, you know, prepared for this. Exactly. And the numbers have
1: improved somewhat, but we're still at a point where we're seeing, you know, I think a total of, you know, there's still 80% of nonprofits are still reporting, you know, either some or heavy cancellations of, you know, their volunteer attendance.
0: Yeah. And that's attendance, which is wild. You're like, not only have we like put together all of the resources somehow necessary to safely mask and distance and do the work, you're then talking about cancellation rates that are still like fifty-fifty. We don't know. We did all this
1: work. It's been massively disruptive across so many other domains of our life, um, and you know, volunteering is no exception. And in many ways, it's as you know, it's as bad you know in you know the kind of the traditional face-to-face volunteering programs as it's been for you know bars and gyms, places where people you know come together and congregate to you know do something positive. All of those programs, you know, think about it. You haven't been to a walkathon or, you know, yeah. a, a, a you know, beach day cleanup, a habitat for humanity build, you know, all of those things have just been massively disrupted.
0: Yeah. And I think it's so important to understand the whole ecosystem of volunteering. Um, I don't need to explain to you, but, you know, you can look at it as the primary outputs, which is like, you know, number of kids taught, number of old people connected with beaches cleaned, plants planted. Right, as a primer, you have the secondary, which is the social connectivity, the fabric of people getting together, and, and what that means. And then, like the tertiary kind of impact, even on the nonprofit itself, the staffing capacity, but also downstream donor support. You know, these volunteers become donors. And guess what? I'm willing to bet there's still second order effects um, that we're going to see from this, let alone that there are billions of. Hours of good deeds that have not been done. Like, what does that mean? I don't know. I mean, we.
1: we I mean, we saw some real examples of what that meant during the crisis in California. Uh, the the governor had to roll out the National Guard to run the food banks for a couple of months. That level of seriousness, you know, that's a mission critical function where you see it. You know, a, a, an organization that simply can't operate without volunteers. Um, but there are so many programs now that really depend on their volunteers to make their programs run, and you can see, um, you know, just how devastating it is. It's been for, um, you know, educational programs, mentoring, after-school programs. Um, you see it in, um, you know, museums and art programs, like all of those places where people would come together and you know, interact, and the docents and the you know, the, it's like. All of the good things that people can do together, uh, you know, are represented by that. All of the bad things that we can do to each other on Twitter, you know, has pretty much been what we were left with once you get rid of all the good stuff. You know, absolutely.
0: Well, the the interesting pieces here is it was you know also from an interest perspective, looking at Google Trends, I can tell you it was down. Just searches topic for volunteering, uh, lowest in. Google recorded history past 16 years, but it was down a third, just dropped overnight interest to a third to a half, roughly speaking. Um, However, spikes we're seeing about probably eight to 10 X, depending on how we measure virtual volunteer searches in your data, though, what I've seen is like, you know, you moved up like a couple percentage points because there's a certain cap on the amount of usefulness or opportunities that virtual volunteering can take up. Is there a like, only so many buttons that can be pressed, like what is your view on this?
1: So, yeah, let's make no mistake, virtual volunteering will never, you know, totally replace face-to-face volunteer engagement. You simply can't um, clean up the beach uh, from your computer. Like there are some things that you can't- Not with that
0: attitude, Greg.
1: You you can't build a house, you know, on Zoom. So like, let, well, let's just be clear that, you know, in the effort to find a silver lining and there are some positives here that we don't lose sight of the big picture. So what are the constraints on virtual? Some of the constraints are just what can't be done when you're not, you know, physically at a particular location. There's a whole class that, that you can never replace. Having said that, it has been one of the bright spots of the pandemic. Has been watching the imagination and ingenuity and innovation of you know local organizations as they try to reinvent themselves into a virtual world. So you know, if you had asked me whether or not you know it would be possible for someone, for an organization, to be recruiting a volunteer to um, serve as a dance instructor. For a well, you know what had been an after-school program mm. or a musical you know a band leader or um, uh, some of the things that you're seeing in terms of organizing um, you know art over art and mentoring programs all you know leaning into virtual interactions you know I would have said no way like I wouldn't I never would have imagined that but it has been affirming to see how many organizations. You know, have created virtual opportunities out of existing programs that honestly I didn't have the imagination to, you know, to, to see before I was looking at it and thinking, wow, that's actually that's a kind of a cool idea. Um, so that has been a, a positive. And right now there are still, you know, there are still millions of volunteers needed for virtual opportunities um, mm-hmm. on Volunteer Match. Now that number before the crisis we had we had 6.5 million open volunteer positions before the crisis.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Right now there are about 3 million.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And some of those, you know, some of the 3 million are, you know, really big um, opportunity opportunities that almost have like a limitless number of volunteers that can get involved. A good one is, um, here's actually one of my favorites, the um, Smithsonian, has organized a massive volunteer effort to go in and translate documents that they have in their archives um, into multiple languages all pertaining to, I think it, it's basically their black history archives. And they want to translate that into mm-hmm. multiple languages um, and digitize it. And so they've, you know, they, they're, they're engaging an army of volunteers um, to engage virtually with that project. And that's awesome I mean I, I I mean that gives me hope it's like good good that feels good to see opportunities like that still available for people who want to be helpful
0: continuing on the silver lining track because now there's a vaccine and we'll get to that in a second and sort of forecasting what we will one of the interesting stats that I was also looking around at and The University of Maryland actually found that actually the highest historical, however, you know, it's hard to nationally measure, but historical highs of volunteering actually occurred uh, shortly after the terrorist attacks. And in 2001, this national volunteering spirit and movement to sort of work for our country hit a peak as they quoted for like about 28, call it 30 percent for a few years post 911 so like after a disaster which I would qualify this as but maybe a different type there may be a rising pent-up demand a sort of run on volunteering that may occur and I would love just maybe some of your perspective on on that and the nature of what you're seeing in the context of this disaster and is that pent-up type of energy similar to a 9-11 moment occurring potentially right now or about to occur
1: I think those conditions are ripe for that. I think 100%, though, it will be dependent upon you know vaccine and you know increasing um, reducing the fear and risk associated with interacting face to face. That will be one variable. The second variable that I think you know goes unnoticed is people believe that volunteering is just about, you know, convincing people not to be the selfish, you know, <laughs> self-absorbed, self-interested people that we've we've been taught we all are um, by, you know, survival of the fittest and Darwin and selfish gene. And our view, has, our view has always been that, you know, there is just a real need and hunger for people to be connected to others and do things that give them a sense of purpose that you can never achieve by just, you know, trying to buy your way into it, in your own self-satisfaction. And I think that's, you know, that is a very real, appetite, need, hunger in people that right now um, we, I, I think you're absolutely right, that there is a, an unsatisfied dev- desire to be able to contribute to something positive um, in your local community. Now, not everybody has it, it's, you know, it's not universal and there's plenty of people out there that you know are defiant in their resistance to doing anything nice or good, but the population of people that wanna give back is much higher than I think people tend to understand What's what is what is what remains missing from the equation too often, though, are organizations with the resources, leadership, and vision to effectively engage volunteers at scale. And that recovery process is very uncertain. The economics, you know, the economic devastation on nonprofits has been as significant as the you know the volunteering impact. I think you know we we see, you know, in our in our data set we see that. Um, You know, 57 percent, you know, remain concerned about um, the future, their economic future, and their ability to execute. And 29 percent are remain very concerned. So, like, almost what is that? You know, huge. Only 14 percent aren't feeling the economic pinch in our survey. And if you don't have the resources or the money, the myth that volunteers just magically show up and make things happen is one that I think more and more people understand is not how it works and the organizations that are really able to apply the, you know, the horsepower of social capital and people's willingness to contribute, like, a, you know, think a habitat for humanity requires organization and leadership and resources. Um, food banks are, are, you know, similarly positioned. So how the economic recovery, whether Congress, you know, sends another round of stimulus back into, our communities mm. will have a material bearing on whether or not volunteering is able to rebound because if volunteering is not you know it does not take place outside the context you know in these big organizations of the you know the kind of the underlying health of the organization weak organizations aren't very good at, at rallying and mobilizing you know volunteers even though that's a myth that people like to believe in
0: yeah i think the audience that is listening to us right now is just probably smiling being like i'm so sick of folks thinking that volunteering just occurs out of nowhere, but our audience knows it. But it's important to note that if you just sent a thousand people off to uh, a beach or a school, you'd have the police called. You wouldn't have productive things happen. That's a, you know, you are an unstructured assembly going on. And by the way, you can't be on school grounds. Yeah, You're stuck here.
1: (laughs) But you know, by the way, I, I, I don't know if you saw this during the crisis, but in New York, a perfect example of this, the governor of New York launched a statewide call to service to recruit volunteers to help on the front lines of the healthcare, you know, crisis right after um, the immediate, probably March or April, and it was enormously well received by the community of health professionals and the state. In you know a week or so, was able to recruit a hundred thousand volunteers. People who rose their hand and said, "I'm in. I want to help." Almost none of those people ever actually ended up volunteering any place. And the New York Times wrote a long expose on why that happened. And it was 100% the false assumption that if someone raises their hands and wants to volunteer, of course, some organization is ready to take them. And they learned the hard way and couldn't place, but you know, not even one of those volunteers. The only people that ended up ended up serving were actually contacted by a headhunter and ended up getting paid like one 1.5 X rates to go and serve in the hospitals and the healthcare systems that they were prepared to do for free. Like it's crazy, crazy.
0: And it's time to feed the whales with a quick ad about Whole Whale University. This is our best online content packaged in courses. We're talking SEO, content marketing, Google ad grants, cybersecurity, and tons of webinars and other templates for you to use. You can buy them individually or as an annual subscription. Uh, We really put our best work in here. And if you're interested in the topics in this podcast that we tend to cover, we go a mile deep with these courses. That's wholewhale.com university. Machinery has is and is currently being eroded. In your July stat and your numbers, 63% say they're operating with reduced resources compared to pre-COVID. And, you know, some of the first to go are like, I can't help but notice we don't have a volunteering program. Why do we need a volunteer coordinator, volunteer manager, community organizer? There are a lot of jobs being cut and they're being cut and systems being cut and relationships being cut in that area. So like one of the sort of negative tailwinds is uh, around that machinery and relationship engine that truly is run and ordered by the nonprofit sector. I love this thought of like, by the way, you know, if if anyone here is a policymaker, uh, I love this thought of nonprofit-focused unlock the billions of hours waiting to be put to work, and that just doesn't happen unless maybe a stimulus is sent to those on the front line of volunteering, of bringing back the, you know, the interpersonal social uh, relationships and commitments of volunteers um, on the ground. That's an interesting thing. We'll, look, we'll
1: put will well, there I, the I mean, I'll take it even further, George. You may okay. not know this, but um, thank you for bringing up the conversation of national policy. Volunteer match along with the United Way, uh, independent sector, um, the association for, um, uh, the, the association, the council for, certification in volunteer administration, along with a number of other leading nonprofits, plus another thousand signatures from nonprofits all across the country are currently lobbying the Senate to add $350 million in nonprofit capacity building funding to what is a $16 billion national service bill called the Coors Act that's been sponsored mm. by Senator Coons. And that bill is still, you know, working its way around it as the new administration tries to work through what its response in, you know, the next 100 days will be. And that's a, a bill that adding these friendly amendments are, ex, you know, aimed exclusively at what we've defined together as a coalition uh, as America's capacity to serve, and investing in the underlying. You know, infrastructure required for effective volunteer engagement, as well as kind of the digital platforms and infrastructure that's required so that people can find opportunities for organize, you know, to serve at an organization that really needs them. Whether they're coming in through their corporate employee program, on you know the internet, from a mayor's website or a state website, wherever you would go, you'd be able to have open access to the local organizations that need your help right now.
0: Mm-hmm. And that one more time, the, the type of act that's out, is it the CORES Act? It, the name of the act is the CORES
1: Act, or the CORE, like, you know, think of it, not CORES, not the beer, Coor, the CORES Act, C O R P S, sponsored by uh, Senator Coons. And it has 17 co sponsors, including Kamala Harris um, and a number of Republicans. Uh, Senator Wicker is a co sponsor. And as it stands right now, it would increase the national service program by adding 125,000 AmeriCorps uh, volunteers. And our position along with our coalition partners is that in a moment of crisis, national service needs to be not just about 125,000 Americans, it needs to be about all Americans. And to do that, we need the infrastructure and the capacity, a stimulus uh, to support the organization's um, in the communities who need it. Well, we're going to
0: have a link to this yeah. in the show the show Good. notes. So if you're interested, they can find it there. Is there another activation place they can go and find it? Yeah,
1: I, I, we actually, I'll send to you, uh, we have a petition on on change.org. So organizations can uh, add their name to this petition and we're continuing to actively lobby and advocate for change in DC. I
0: love it. I think that's a, a great note, a positive note to end on. There's a renaissance coming comment profits are going to be at the front end of it we're going to be in a historical high it's going to be like a v-shaped recovery for volunteering v for v um i, I just made that up greg i just made that up just I, I
1: did now. I, I did like v for v. I'm, I'm in i'm in <laughs> i'm in on you, that you note started. you had me at v you had me at v
0: on that note um I want to go into our rapid fire round. Oh, so, boy. with your permission, maybe Here we, we can go. jump into it. Are you, I mean, are you prepared?
1: We'll see. We'll see. Yeah. You'll have to score me after.
0: Okay. What is one tech tool or website that you or your organization has started using in the last year?
1: I'm sure everybody's answered, you know, fully leaning into uh, Zoom. So, of course. But one thing I've used a lot more um, recently is I've used um, Trello a lot more. Our organizations use Trello a lot more, something that a lot of organizations have been using for years, but it's been something that really helped us get through the crisis to keep ourselves organized when things were moving 100 miles an hour.
0: What tech issues are you currently battling with?
1: We're still battling with so many of our stakeholders just don't have the tools and technologies that they need to even engage with virtual volunteering so that's a real you know a real ongoing challenge. And then I think the other big challenge that we have at a very practical level is that we're trying to make the volunteer match network interoperable with other platforms and systems and just mapping different data sets and data architectures, you know, and agreeing to, you know, how you swap in from, how you make data more portable is something that's just a gear grinding activity that's necessary, but not the least bit entertaining.
0: What's coming in the next year that has you the most excited?
1: We are, for the first time, federating the volunteer match platform with other like-minded platforms the most significant we're working with Mm. the state of california and i'm super excited that after 10 years of talking about it and dreaming about it we actually are building systems now so that users of the hands-on platform which many of the listeners might have be familiar with it's a service that helps you know local volunteer centers and hands-on affiliates uh, have a platform for managing not only their own affairs, but to help local nonprofits recruit volunteers. In a different world, one might have just dis- one might have looked at that as an alternative uh, to volunteer match or com- competition. A frenemy. Uh, a frenemy. Very well said. And um, I'm super excited that they're working with us now, and we actually have a prototype out there. So a nonprofit using Hands On Connect could log into their account and and publish an opportunity, basically federate meaning log into their volunteer match account from the hands-on connect system request permission to pull all of their volunteer match records into hands-on connect and also publish information from their hands-on account up to their volunteer match account so that they've got the you know the much dreamed of one-stop shop so you don't have to put your volunteer opportunities into both systems that is a dream that i've been dreaming for a very long time and to actually see it have a chance to uh you know live in the wild i'm pretty excited about that
0: you dream the impossible
1: dream. I do dream. Talk of. about a
0: mistake you made early in your career that shapes the way you do things now. I think this is th- this same theme. I think we were
1: very much the team that was uh, the do it yourself team. I'm kind of a recovering know-it-all. So uh, it, that ran very deep at volunteer match that you know, we wanted to build a better mousetrap and we were gonna do it and we we're gonna show the world how to do it. And now I, you know, now I'm a convert to collaboration and cooperation and know 100% that the work that we do alone will never be enough to transform volunteering in America in the ways that it needs to be transformed. And unless we can get even better at collaborating and coalition building over the next couple of years, um, I see our our past trajectory of just doing it all ourselves as just being you know, a colossal I mean, in the best sense is step in the right direction. Let's put it that way. But at this point now to continue to persist in that attitude would be a huge mistake.
0: Do you believe that nonprofits can successfully go out of business?
1: Uh, Yeah, Atlantic Philanthropies put themselves out of business. That was a great move. Do you see that their foundation, they spent down all their money. I don't know that anybody else has ever done this with such glory and panache, but uh, Chuck Feeney said he was gonna sunset that thing. Billions of dollars. And I'll be damned. They got close at the end, the market kept going up. So you know it took them a, <laughs> right. it took them a while to get rid of all the money because the market kept going up, but they did it. And I think that was a glorious, glorious example of going going out of business for all the right reasons.
0: If I were to throw you in a hot tub time machine, back to the beginning of your work, what advice would you give yourself? Don't be such a jackass all the time. <laughs> Don't just just slow
1: down, it's gonna be okay. And you can only, you're only going to get, you're only going to get to your dreams if uh, in a, you can build the relationships, um, helping other people be massively successful is way more important than just being successful yourself.
0: You probably have been thrown into that room for that advice. <laughs> oh, oh, I meant that for you, George. I'm sorry. Oh yeah. That's how I phrased it. <laughs> What is something you think you or your organization should stop doing?
1: We're our we can we can often be our own worst enemy just in terms of like measurement and critic you know being being our own worst critics of you know things that we're not getting. and I think giving ourselves permission to to fail and giving ourselves permission to you know continue to earnestly believe in a dream even in the face of things not working out um I think that's a that's a real gift if you can if you can. Give your, give your team the latitude to believe in something and keep working at it.
0: If I were to give you a Harry Potter style wand to wave
1: across the industry, what would it do? It would double the amount of funding that comes into the nonprofit sector overnight, uh, ensure that thousands and thousands of new ideas and, and new people came into the sector to lean hard into the unique advantages that the Social sector has over both the public sector and the corporate sector.
0: How did you get started in this sector?
1: I was a public policy major from Brown University who worked for two glorious years in the advertising business, madman style. And two years into it, it occurred to me that if I was really, really lucky and was total a suck up to everybody, I might end up in the corner office uh, selling orange juice and doers. Uh, to people that you know probably didn't need it and were you know washing it down with Pillsbury muffins. And I loved everything about advertising's capacity to change to plant an idea in somebody's mind that would change their behavior. I just hated that it meant that they would you know on a, on a good day they would be changing their behavior to do something that may or may not be good for them. And I, volunteering and volunteer match is this great amalgam for me of, you know, putting putting that, putting those energies to good use to advance something that I really care about. So putting all those practices to, you know, to advancing people's willingness to be kind to each other feels a lot better than muffins or orange juice to me.
0: What advice would you give college grads currently looking to enter the social impact sector?
1: Make sure that you understand that the sector is not a place to run away from the whatever perceptions you have of money. It's not a, a place where money doesn't it is no longer important. Like you're free from it. It's not a it's not a liberation from the economy. I think a lot of people believe that that's what the nonprofit sector is about. I think the nonprofit sector is a place that intentionally puts purpose ahead of profit. Um, but it 100% is not exempt from all of the demands of organizing and building systems that generate enough revenue on a year-to-year basis to keep moving and investing and advancing the mission.
0: What advice did your parents give you that you either followed or did not follow?
1: My parents were great in allowing me to pursue my own sense of what was right and wrong. They never they never, when I, you know, when I quit my job, <laughs> they had extraordinary patience and confidence that somehow it would all work out. And I gave them no reason to believe that it would. So I really, it's a real <laughs> gift that they,
0: they hung with it that long. Greg, how do people find you? How do they help you?
1: You can find me at uh, G Baldwin at volunteermatch.org. I'm also on LinkedIn quite a bit, not a huge Twitter guy. Um, but I can be contacted there as well. And what can they do to help? Honestly, I would love to have people do two things. A, if they have a favorite nonprofit that they work with that is looking for volunteers or is struggling, you know, to convert in face-to-face volunteer program to virtual, send them to volunteermatch.org to our resource hub. Give them some, you know, some help, some support. Uh, know that they're not alone in trying to go through this and then uh, encourage their friends and family to spend five minutes over the holiday season looking around for opportunities that resonate with their interests and their passions and their skills and see if they can't find something for themselves and their colleagues and friends and family uh, so they can set themselves on a path to finding opportunities to give back in 2021 as this country works desperately to rebuild all of the social and human and economic capital that has been obliterated in 2020. Say goodbye to 2020.
0: V-Shape Recovery led by Volunteer Match. We love the work you are doing and look forward to the volunteering renaissance. Greg, thank you, thank you, thank you for the the resources and uh, and the work. It's appreciated.
1: Always good to be invited to this massive (laughs) podcast and I look forward to being invited again.
0: Well, we'll see about that. (laughs) This has been Using the Whole Whale podcast. If you want to keep learning more about these topics and others, head on over to wholewhale.com slash university to keep learning with us. Thanks, as always, to gregthomasmusic.org for his tunes that underwrite our tracks. They're fantastic. Hope you're doing well, Greg. And just a reminder, subscribes really help us on any platform that you listen to us on. Please give a thought to click and subscribe, and maybe even a comment, because we like hearing from you.